Super Talk Mississippi media production. What is Moondog? Moondog Makers and Bakers is not just a catering company. It's blended tradition with innovation and something familiar just done differently. To get a taste of what they're truly all about, you can order some awesome merch, crafted spice blends, or request catering for your very own event. MoondogMakersandBakers.com What's up on a Thursday? I am Brian Scott Rippey, my co-conspirator as always. You almost did it. Mike. You almost did it. Yeah, I know. almost said Wednesday. We, uh, we're a day later than usual. Yesterday was just kind of one of those tweener days where you had basketball that night and baseball the night before, and then I was waiting on the uh, uh, Thomas Snacks Lee interview that we have up in the same feed. If you're listening to this show, it is on yesterday's show, the Internet Sensation uh Three ball extraordinaire. Uh, Jackson State basketball manager talked to him for about ten or fifteen minutes. Really enjoyed it. He's Swag a player dude. of the week too. Yeah, one of his stats was like seven million uh, social media impressions. So uh, <laughs> big, big week for him. He was actually on the uh, Today Show this morning or one of those Good Morning shows, and uh, I believe he's got some stuff with ESPN coming up. So like he literally flew to New York either this morning or yesterday, something like that. Damn. Nice. And uh, so, yeah, so uh, quite the uh, quite the uh, the uh, profitable three pointer for him in terms of clout. But anyway, that interview is up. You can go listen to that uh, at these wherever you get this podcast. It's you probably passed it on the way to clicking on this one. But Ole Miss won a baseball game Tuesday night against Memphis. Bunch of different younger guys pitched. We'll get into that some. Ole Miss had senior night last night for Brian Tyree. They held on and beat Missouri 75-67. It was kind of a vintage Tyree performance in terms of like wasn't his best game, but the, the the 13 he scored in the second half kind of willed them to a win as he's done countless times. But uh, we'll get into a bunch of that type of stuff. I guess uh, let's start with hoops last night because I guess that's the freshest on my mind. Ole Miss tops Missouri 75-57, to or 67, excuse me. Brian Tyree goes for 19 on just six of nine shooting. Uh, you had one of those weird Blake Henson spurts. Blake Henson went for 19 in the first half and then took two shots and didn't score in the second half. Uh, but Ole Miss was up by as many as 15 in the first half. Missouri shaved its nine, started the second half on an 11-2 to run and uh, tied the game. And then after that, it got tied like 53-all. And then Tyree, I believe, was responsible for nine of the 10 points in a 10-2 to spurt that put Ole Miss up eight, and they never really gave up the lead after that, though the game was still always kind of at arm's length. But, uh, you know, he makes the victory lap around the stadium after the game, uh, shaking hands with everyone and all of that. Uh, it was kind of interesting. He had to do it. Like, the, the team went through and did it because it was the last home game of the season, and all the people were, like, searching for Brian, and no one could find him. And he was doing the TV interview, so they, like, delayed it, like, 15 minutes, and he walked around by himself. Um, with probably fewer people in the stand still, but anyway, whatever. He got his victory lap and uh, just uh, wrapping up a pretty pretty solid home career in that building. He's uh, He scored a lot of points there. I don't know the exact number. Oh, I, I don't either. I'm sure that we can find it if we looked hard enough, but that's a lot of research for a, a meaningless stat. It was good to see for a season that's been bad and a career that's been really rocky. We talked about it on the radio show a little bit yesterday, but I mean, he's dealt with some stuff, you know, towards ACL his last year of high school in April and wasn't a hundred percent as a freshman. And then as a sophomore, his coach gets fired. The team's a complete dumpster fire. 
And then he gets a new coach who takes him to the NCAA tournament, and then they're back to, uh, I mean, they're 6-11, and 11, potentially finishing 7-11 and 11 in the SEC. I mean, a shot at it, but uh, the team itself has been disappointing relative to preseason expectations. He's had an up-and-down and rocky situation around him and uh, has still had a really solid career, as you mentioned. I mean, one of the better players in Ole Miss history, certainly not the greatest player in the history of the program, but... I mean, he's up there. If you want to do like a top 10 or top 15 list or whatever, he's one of the better players to ever play there. And it was really good to see him get a win and play well last night. Yeah, I mean, in terms of a guy that can score on all three levels, he's certainly up there. I mean, like, you know, Moody, Henderson, they're a little bit different players, but like... I I would take Tyree over Marshall Henderson 100 times out of 100, but that's just me. Well, yeah, I mean, Stefan Moody was really just kind of a more efficient Marshall Henderson, maybe with not quite like the deep range uh, that kind of made people ooh and ah. But, uh, you know, Moody, like, oh, well, he kind of had that, more... too. <laughs> I mean, what? He, he kind of had that, too. Yeah, but like, like Henderson would pull up from 28, 29 feet sometimes and do stuff off one leg and things like that were pretty ridiculous. Just different players. Moody was a much better athlete, but probably not as refined of a basketball player as Tyree, but in the kind of the lineage of guards that have come through in the last decade for Ole Miss, he's certainly up there in terms of a guy that can score on all three levels. I mean, he's got a devastating mid-range game. Uh, You know, he can get to the rim once he kind of gets his shoulders by a defender heading to the rim. It's pretty much game over. You're going to foul him. He's going to make the layup or both. And then he's a pretty damn, turned himself into a pretty damn good three-point shooter. But you know, the move from on the ball to off the ball when Kermit Davis got here and made him a two-guard, I think, uh, really changed the trajectory of his career in the sense that he's like Davis saw him as a guy that was built to score. And he's in a, and he basically was like, look, we're going to put you over here and not have you worry about anything else but doing exactly that. So, uh, you know, good career, good swan song at home. Obviously, he's got at least two more games left in his college career. Uh, maybe perhaps fitting that it culminates in Starkville against Mississippi State on Saturday because that is a game he's admittedly said he uh, he always gets up for. He uh, To me, really the first highlight of his career, and I actually asked him about this last night, was the dunk he threw down in that second game his freshman year in Starkville because AK kind of used that as, as evidence of like, hey, this kid, like his knee's not 100%, but he's starting to look like himself again. And I asked Breen if he remembered that dunk last night. He said, yeah, that's the first time I made SportsCenter. That was really one of the first, like, cool moments of my career. So that'll culminate in Starkville on Saturday. Uh, And really everything else, I guess, aside from Tyree, uh, the game itself, there wasn't much to it. Like, it was really just kind of about him, his show. Missouri did a good job staying on him uh, in the first half. He only had six points. Uh, Didn't take a ton of shots, but still affected the game pretty well. Got looser in the second half, was able to get to the rim more frequently. Uh, six of six from the free throw line. Uh, only took one three-point shot, so most of his most of his work came inside the three-point line. But just kind of a vintage Bree and Tyree performance. Definitely not his strongest. It wasn't like a Kobe Bryant, I'm going to take 45 shots in my finale type of deal. But uh, definitely a good senior night in a season that's been quite frustrating. Yeah, man, he only missed three shots. I mean, it wasn't the volume or anything, but he still, I mean, just... If they've gotten that balanced of a scoring output from their starters, and with the exception of Schuler, and I want to ask you something about him later on, but if they could have gotten 12 from C and 13 from Buffin and 19 from Henson, that's a little much asking on a nightly basis. But all four of those guys, if they were just 
consistently double-digit double digit scorers. I mean, this is an NCAA tournament team. It's just wild how inconsistent they've been. Yeah, they have been super inconsistent. It's uh, it's it's it it's. I mean, that's just been kind of the story of the year. They've lacked a secondary scorer behind him. They've really struggled because of that. Because you know, there were times, particularly in early January, when he would come out of SEC games and they were just completely dysfunctional offensively. I think the Auburn game at, in Oxford was probably the epitome of that, to where they're up like nine, ten, something like that, trying to hold on to a double-digit lead and salted away he fouled out pretty early and it was pretty much just game over after that and have a field goal for the final like six minutes but yeah uh you know he he's kind of had to shoulder an unfair load in terms of the offensive scoring responsibilities this year and that's i mean most teams that have one score and nothing behind him aren't going anywhere and usually middle around mediocrity and that's pretty much where this club is mm-hmm. so they uh so Devonte Shuler. I'm glad I, I, it, it came back to me. What is wrong with him? I, I, because we've talked about this before. He's just he's so talented, or at least has. You've seen the raw talent, but in terms of next season, because that's what matters now. They play a game against Mississippi State. It, it doesn't matter what the outcome of that game is. They'll go to Nashville. They're not winning the SEC tournament. Therefore, they're not making the NCAA tournament, and the likelihood of them getting into the NIT is very small. Their season likely ends early on in Nashville. So most of the conversation needs to be directed to next season. If they are relying on Devontae Shuler to replace Brian Tyree's production, at least from what we've seen, they're kind of screwed. Uh, yeah, I don't think that's what I, I think they're going to go. They're probably scored the grad transfer market. They, uh, you know, they, uh, Kermit Davis mentioned on Tuesday, or I guess, yeah, Tuesday, day before the game, uh, that uh, Jarkel Joyner has been the best player on the team in practice. I mean, Brian included. Uh, that, you know, the coaching staff continues to rave about him. He's the Oxford High kid that went to Cal Bakersfield. AK didn't offer him out of high school. Uh, plays a year there. I Boy, that pissed have, a lot of people off around here, didn't it? Yeah, I don't have his stats at Bakersfield, but uh, you know, could really fill it up. I watched him four or five times covering high school games. The kid could score, like he could get his own shot and create his own basket pretty much at will. But they claimed he's kind of uh, he's really taken over in practice. So I imagine in terms of the scoring load, uh, that's where most of that will likely come in addition to, again, probably some newcomers because the team's going to look different next year. You're ho- and, and you would hope in terms of like what they're looking at next year, they're probably hoping for a more consistent version of K.J. Buffin and Blake Henson to go along with it. So I, I think it's going to be much more of a by-committee thing more so than having one guy that's going to get you 20 to 25 a night is probably what next year's team is going to look like. Because this this team was much more of like an AK team where one guy's going to take 15 to 20 shots, and if he doesn't make them, then you're probably toast. Yeah. They probably could have used one of Handy Kendi's patented 20-win seasons this year, though. Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm absolutely. AK system I'm, worked. I'm just kidding. I know. Uh, yeah, I mean, there's no denying it. His uh, his system certainly worked. I mean, he won here at a level that no one else had in a while. But anyway, this team just seemed to take the shape more of an AK team than anything else. Next year, I think the team will kind of look, uh, not physically, but like schematically, 
more so what uh, what Kermit Davis would prefer it to look like. But yeah, definitely There's a no pressure uh, on him going into next year. I mean, in terms of like job security, no, maybe not job security because he's not on any kind of hot seat at all. But uh, like the expectations, he Kermit Davis had the most capital on campus when this season began. People were kind of stale on Mike Bianco, and we've talked about that before. Uh, Matt Luke had no support whatsoever. Uh, I mean, the program, they, they weren't winning. There was no excitement. Kermit Davis was the king on campus because he was the only person that <laughs> there weren't negative feelings about. He was the king by default. Now you've got this new thing with Lane Kiffin going on, and we'll see how uh, the end of baseball season goes. But right now it certainly looks like a team that could uh, make some serious noise. So is there a little bit of added pressure now on the basketball program, seeing as though um, the sports around him are better than they were this time a year ago? Let's well, say. I don't think I don't think it's any different than any other coach at any other sport that's coming off a bad season. There's going to be increased pressure to improve next year. This team performed below expectation. So, I mean, any time you have a team that performs below what it's expected to be or what it's perceived to be, there's going to be amplified pressure to not rectify that next year, but make sure that doesn't happen again. I, I just think that's common in the nature of multi-million dollar college athletics. So nothing unique here. That makes sense. No, I mean, I don't think so. I mean, like they stunk this year. They were below expectations. Like there's going to be increased pressure to to be better next year. If they stink again next year, is he getting fired? I mean, barring something absolutely like uh, an abomination. No, of course not. But I mean, it, it would sound I don't like he's getting fired if there's an abomination, but you know, yeah, I mean, but I'm, I'm talking like nine and like, you know, seven and something with off the court. I mean, you never, you never know, but like, of right. course not, but it would set up an interesting dynamic going into year four, but that first NCAA tournament appearance in terms of just long-term job security is going to buy him more. Uh, I mean, it's, it's going to buy him a bunch of capital, no matter how impatient uh, fans may be, because he also, another thing he has going for him is the guy that was primarily responsible for hiring him and basically ran the search is now his, the athletic director. It's his direct boss. So, you know, Keith Carter's a basketball guy. He gets it. So, no, I don't think so. I don't think it's anything out of the ordinary from any other place. But just in terms of, like, how people are going to perceive the program long-term and view it next year is an important year to at least be more competitive because this team's problem was, I think it, the problem was, was, like, the longer losing streaks. Like, this team was never really just kind of fighting in the weeds and, you know, they'd have a tough loss and then rebound with the wind or lose one or two in a row and rebound one or two in a row. I mean, that, hell, what they, they lost – six in a row to begin SEC play, then kind of got it back and won a couple and then lost, what, four in a row or something like that. What The stretch after they lost Kentucky, Auburn, Missouri, and – no, K- Kentucky, Missouri, Auburn, and then they win after that. I don't remember what the next game was, to be completely honest. Uh, no, Alabama, they did. They lost. So uh, this team was just very streaky, and so it was very feast or famine. And so – Anyway, I think consistency uh, is probably going to be a pretty big buzzword next year. Like Blake Henson, K.J. Buffett on an individual level, and then really just with regards to the team's success as well. Hmm. Fair enough. But, yeah, outside of that, not a uh, 
not a whole lot to report from the basketball game. I uh, I don't think. I mean, it, you had it's really just kind of a pit and eyes. Blake Henson he goes for nineteen and is jacking up shots left and right on Tyree's senior night uh, in a very on brand Blake Henson move. But to his credit, he's making them and he's feeling it, and then really just kind of completely disappears in the second half. Uh, so, I mean, if you can get that version of Blake Henson for 40 minutes and you can get that 25 times out of 30-something games next year, that Kermit Davis will probably take that. The challenge is, is just uh, you know, is doing that. It's, uh, it, it's been kind of a mystery. He's probably been the most – like, he's a, he's, a, he's a drunker version of K.J. Buffin. Buffin was, Buffin's been pretty consistent for the second quarter of the year. Last night, 13.3 of 7 shooting, 6 of 8 from the free throw line. 10 rebounds. I believe that was his first career double double. He had been at like eight, like early in the year when he was scoring at a high club. He's been at eight or nine rebounds a gajillion times, but for whatever reason, couldn't ever get to the 10th for a double double. So I believe that is his first career double double, if I'm not mistaken. I'll double check that. But he's actually been kind of quietly consistent uh, down the stretch, or at least more than he was early in the season when he kind of kept getting saddled with foul trouble. And uh, things of that nature. So anyway, uh, I just pulled a Stephen A. Smith. I don't even know what the hell things of that nature means. He got into foul trouble uh, and just wasn't consistent. I, uh, I don't really know what that means. But uh, I think if you're looking at two guys next year to really kind of right the ship and turn this around, if you gave me Blake Henson and K.J. Buffin's season numbers in October, uh, you could pretty much tell what the team's going to do. I could be wrong about that. The Matthew Morell kid could come in and just light shit up and, uh, Jarkel Joyner could be everything the staff says he is and more, and I could be dead wrong. I uh, I just think those two are going to be a pretty big indicator. And if just and, and he made one last night. If KJ Buffin just decided to add an outside shot, he, I mean, he could be a professional basketball player if he shot the ball from outside of the paint. If he added a mid-range to long-range game. He is athletic enough and has the body type to play a high level of basketball. Yeah, I mean, I would certainly agree with that. He's just, uh, I mean, he he could be an effective college player even without that outside shot. It's just, yeah, uh, he you know, he's not always. I mean, he's stronger than he was last year around the rim. Uh, you know, it's just not always a great finisher. Doesn't always finish through contact great. But yeah, I mean that would certainly add a dimension to his game. There's no no disputing that. Um, kind of the same thing with Henson. Henson, as much as he takes him, is not a great outside shooter as well. And Henson spends less time in the paint and guarding opposing fours and fives as well. And he plays more on the perimeter than Buffin does, or at least it seems. That's probably the guy you need to actually have. <laughs> get a consistent jump shot because the problem is if he plays a bunch next year, those things are going up whether they're going in or not. Yeah. His shot selection needs to get so much better. If, I mean, if he's actually going to be somebody that helps that team win games next year, he's got to take better shots. And I know like last night he made some and he was just throwing up shots and sometimes they went in, but my God, if he just took better shots in rhythm, like within the set, he would be so much more consistent, but he just chooses not to do that. Yeah, it's a, he's a frustrating player, and I wonder how much of it is not having an offseason. I'll be interested to see just kind of what he is next year and what he turns into because he was really a kid that a bunch of people were high on after his freshman year. I mean, he had a really likable game. He was not short on confidence, and it just 
I mean, this was a sophomore year from hell for Henson for the most part. I think he would probably be the first one to tell you that. But I don't know. Next year will be an interesting year, uh, particularly those two and a couple of the newcomers they have. Uh, outside of that, not much from the game. Ole Miss hangs on. They're pretty good from the free throw line. They would 10 turnovers. They're fine. Had got out rebounded a little bit on the glass. Didn't allow a ton of second chance points. Uh, 24 paint points, 28 paint points, 14 assists on 22 made baskets. See, there's very average offensively. It's just, uh, Missouri is not very good either. Missouri is a decent team at full strength, but, uh, just, just not very good. What's interesting. Missouri plays a bunch of dudes. They had three, six, nine, 10, 11 guys play. One of them only played two minutes. So that doesn't really count, but yeah, the rest five of guys off the bench 12. with double digit minutes. Yeah, I mean, that you're 29, 20, 32, 13, 16, 12, 10, 26, 17, 23. I mean, Kermit Davis pointed out last night, Missouri at full strength is a team that did beat Illinois on a neutral court. Like, they, they have the potential to be a decent team, just kind of ravaged by injuries and just haven't figured it out, even though they've played better basketball of late. But that's about all I got on that one. Not a, uh, not a ton to report. I guess rewinding a little bit, but first we'll take a break and remind you, podcast brought to you by LB's. Might have Greg again on tomorrow, at least get his XFL picks. I believe he was 2-2 two and two last week, so uh, uh, breaking even, or I guess coming out completely uh, no blood for Greg on the XFL. Maybe, he'll, uh, maybe he can hit you with the 4-0 weekend this week. We go see him University Avenue across from Kroger. There are three baseball games this weekend. Uh, not sure what the weather's supposed to be like for those, but if you're headed to the ballpark, go by and see Greg. He, can, uh, he feeds the baseball team. He can feed you while you watch the baseball team. He's got all kinds of sausages. Steaks, custom cuts, daily specials, plate lunches. You can go grab lunch and decide what you want to grill at the ballpark later. Uh, go see him, University Avenue, across from Kroger. LB's the best place in Mississippi to get meat. Uh, rewinding back to Tuesday, Ole Miss beat Memphis two to one in, or excuse me, eight to one in baseball. I don't know where the hell I got two to one from in a game that. Memphis walked 11 dudes and threw five wild pitches. Like, there wasn't, Ole Miss wasn't great offensively, but Memphis wasn't exactly throwing the ball over the plate with great frequency. Really, to me, the story in this game was them. They used six pitchers. Jackson Kimbrell, freshman left hander, started, went three innings. Uh, you had Miller, Chofi, Cole Baker, Drew McDaniel, and Wes Burton behind him. And really, if you're looking for a storyline heading into SEC play, because they have five non-conference games, uh, three against Princeton and two at Louisiana Monroe next week. Uh, if you're looking, I guess, for kind of an underlying storyline in all of those games, because they're supposed to win all of those, is really they're just trying to add bullpen depth. I mean, they're trying to figure out, like, this team is really good at the top end of its bullpen. Miller, Chofi, Broadway uh, have all been really good leading the and bridging the game to Forsyth on the back end. But if they can get out of this group of freshmen and sophomores that's – I mean, we've talked about this before, but it's like – How many Logan's, more do they need? You're talking about adding depth. Just just a number. How many more guys need to be reliable bullpen arms for them to get to where people want them to go? They could get to where they want to go with what they have. If you have three guys and a closer out of the bullpen, you can make it happen with other guys kind of getting spot endings and stuff like that. You can make it work. You're just an injury away from being in a real fragile spot, or if you get in a game where things go awry and you have to have seven innings or six innings of bullpen relief one day before you get to Sunday or like that, you're in kind of a tight spot. They have enough to be fine right now. It's just like if they can get a lefty like Kimbrell 
who looked pretty good for the most part, threw a changeup for the first time all year that was probably his best secondary pitch against Memphis. Uh, if you can get a guy like that, particularly a left-handed guy, to come out of the bullpen and face opposing left-handers, or if you can get a Wes Burton or a McDaniel or someone like that to to kind of be able to be trusted in uh, not only high leverage spots, but just important innings in SEC play, that's just kind of going to change the way I think people view them. Like, that's kind of like, okay, well, this team really doesn't have a lot of holes. So I don't think it's a matter of, like, they need a couple more. Uh, I think it was just like they would like to have them because they would just be better equipped to get through the grind that is the 30-game SEC season uh, with that, I guess, if that makes sense. Because, I mean, how we, we looked at that 2012 team a while back or whatever it was in the TCU regional or A&M regional. Like, Mike's gotten through on, like, three, four pitchers before. Uh, like, total, I'm talking, like, starters included, like, two bullpen arms. Like, they have enough. They're fine. It's just uh, they would be uh, – I think they would be much better equipped um, and just really kind of even stronger if they – out of that group of four or five I just named younger guys, if two of them could contribute – I think they would be. Uh, I think that would significantly change how you uh, view them this season. Fair enough, and uh, kind of tough early schedule, but at least they get what should be a nice little tune-up with uh, nice weather as well. By the way, if you're going to make your way out to the ballpark, I think we're going to have a really good weekend. Uh, nice little tune-up before LSU comes to town. Yeah, I uh, what is if you looked at the weather this weekend, I have no idea what it's going to be. Friday high of fifty five, nothing but sun. Saturday high of sixty, also nothing but sun. Sunday high of sixty four, partly cloudy. So really nice weekend. Like wear a light jacket, maybe some jeans, and should be a really good day to go out there and watch baseball. Yeah, it's a pretty cold one today. I actually woke up and was getting ready to set up this podcast, and was like why the hell is my house so cold and my roommates didn't turn the heat on and then one of them actually left the back door open, uh, I guess, wow. before they left for work. What a, what a jerk. So, yeah, uh, like, although I say that, it's really not that cold outside anymore. Maybe scratch that, I lied. It was cold as hell this morning when I found the back door open, but uh, I don't know, maybe the dog opened it. But anyway, yeah, so it, not kind of getting that warmer springer weather, what you spring forward this year and, and this weekend, sorry, isn't that the daylight savings deal going on? Sunday, you spring forward on Sunday, yeah. Yeah, so nice weekend, final non-conference weekend before a really just kind of monster series with uh, with LSU and Oxford to open SEC play the next weekend. So Looks I, like uh, a, a – okay, you, Ole Miss is good enough to where every home series is one that they can win, but LSU right now – I mean, correct me if I'm wrong – if you had to choose an SEC team to play in the opening weekend, it wouldn't start with LSU, but you'd prefer them over a few others, no? Uh, it, yeah, I mean, it's 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 kind of had a weird last couple weekends because Arkansas is really struggling. State's still trying to recover and kind of find itself after losing JT, JT Ginn, and uh, that's kind of coinciding. I mean, they're losing a first-round pick on Friday nights, and it's kind of coinciding with some offensive struggle. That's a pretty – deadly recipe in terms of trying to just like work through things arkansas goes oh and three at the shriners in houston and then loses a midweek game to like one of the directional illinois schools or maybe it was illinois state i don't remember but they're struggling lsu's not playing great baseball right now too a&m still can't really hit like if you're talking just in like if you're if you're doing the whole john rostein buy stock thing like 
I think you're buying stock, and I mean Auburn hasn't even been that great either. They got swept by UCF. But like are you def- Ole Miss is definitely right now at the top of your list in terms of like who you would buy stock for in the SEC West. Does that mean they're going to end up being the best team in the West? No, I don't. I don't really think that. Uh, but they are certainly playing the best baseball and have gotten off to the best start of really any of those clubs. Like I mean, in anyone in the West, I, I can't think of anyone who's gotten off to a better start than they have. Yeah. So, I mean, it should be huge crowds too, man. I, I might jet up there for that series because that would just be so much fun. I know you don't get to watch it in the same capacity that I would because I sure as hell would not be sitting with these stuffy media idiots, but uh, still should be a fun series for you even watching it from there. Yeah, definitely. Tons of fun. I uh, love that press box seat. <laughs> I... Uh, <laughs> But, yeah, I mean, it's a Friday. Man, you could it's, cover a game from the outfield. Just pull your laptop out there, get an external charger, and have a beer, and nothing would change. Like, you wouldn't get the information fed to you from the SID or whatever, but you could still cover games from out there. Yeah, well, you I don't even have to be not. out there anymore. You could get a beer in the in the stadium itself. So just don't sit up there with the nerds. Yeah, I've actually thought about doing that at basketball games this year. I guess I kind of missed the boat on that with that being the last one. But, like, I got, a couple times I've been like, eh, what, like, would it kill me to have a beer while I watch the game? No. But, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> anyway, the uh, it should be a pretty high-profile series. I, uh, it, like, I mean, it, the way the West is set up this year, I mean, even though it's early March, like, that, that's going to be as important as any series they play in May in terms of positioning and seating and kind of jockeying for position in the SEC West. It's uh, like, sw- like it's, it's, it's going to be a fascinating year because it's so loaded on that side of the division. Like, getting, sweep, sweeping and not getting swept are going to be absolute keys. It's going to be kind of one of those, if you can take all your home series and not get swept on the road and kind of finish around 500, uh, it, it's going to be a battle, I guess, is what I'm saying. I'm not really articulating that well. And that's... Uh, that's a hell of a way to start. And then I believe you have Arkansas and Mississippi State in Starkville that same weekend, too. So, like, those are two of the top four teams or the best four teams in the West going at it from week one on. That's uh, that's that's going to be significant, and it's, it's only opening weekend. Yeah. I'm excited, man. Uh, I, I cannot imagine what the feeling around that campus would have been like if – the Slim Reaper, Heath Carter doesn't make the change at head coach. The basketball team performs this way. And let's pretend that Louisville takes two of three and they drop one to Xavier and they lose a midweek to Southern Miss or lose to Alcorn State the way they almost did. Like, Could you imagine the feeling around that campus and around that town right now if those things, which all very well could have happened, like they are – that's not some far-fetched idea that they keep Matt Luke and the baseball team doesn't get off to this start and the basketball team just is what they were. The mood around that campus in town would have been unlike anything you've probably ever seen before. Yeah, I, uh, I, I agree. I mean, it, it, it would have been <laughs> – I mean, it, but it would, have, it would have been any different than the last <laughs> nine, ten months before that. Like, people were quite cranky and grumpy. Like, even thinking the basketball team is going to be okay because people don't really buy into that until January anyway. But, yeah, I mean, it would have uh, – I mean, 
the uh, I guess the spring game would have uh, would have been pretty far, sparsely populated uh, once again. But yeah, I mean, there are. Uh, this is a fun team to. Uh, I think this is a fun team for some of the fans to get attached to because they're different looking offense. They're pitching it pretty well, and in a program that's kind of gone stale in some ways, a team that's exceeding expectations is probably kind of a refreshing. At least early on in a small sample size, it's a. Uh, it's a breath of uh, breath of fresh air, I think, for for sure. So anyway, that's uh outside of that, there are people. Uh, the only, the big baseball story this week, there are people really pissed off about the script M logo. I don't. Uh, I'm not a huge fan of the way the hat looks, but I, I don't get why this is a big deal. Rippy. <laughs> I'm I not understand. Like I, I get, I, I get exactly what I just did there. Like I, I. I I get why people are making it a big deal, like in terms of like I under fundamentally understand. It just doesn't make any the sense. lunacy. It just still doesn't make sense. But like it would be different, man. It would be so different if the hats previously said Ole Miss and then they got rid of them. Like then the idea of they're trying to get rid of the name Ole Miss that would then at least be rational, right? It. It still would be kind of ridiculous, but at least it would be rational. This is irrational. They've never had Ole Miss on the hat, so changing it from a block M that Michigan and Missouri and probably Montevello or any school that starts with an M, Maine, whoever, use that block M. It is very generic, and a form of an M has been on the baseball hats forever. I mean, you can look at pictures of Archie Manning in a baseball uniform, and he has not this form of a block M, but a just standard M on the baseball hat. So all this is doing is taking something that is very unique Old Miss. Like that Old Miss script, Old Miss, is very recognizable. It is to a smaller scale, obviously, than Texas or somebody, but it's a nationally recognized brand. When people see that, they automatically know what it is. Of course, partially because you can read it and it tells you, but it's still a, a recognizable thing. It is viewed very favorably. People like the logo. Like I've got buddies in South Carolina that went to Clemson or USC, couldn't care less about Ole Miss, that think it's a cool-looking logo. So all they did was take the M out of it and replace the block M on the baseball hat with that, and then sometimes they'll throw it on a basketball uniform or a secondary something. Like, it's a nice thing that you got from your own logo. Like, it's not a new thing that was created. It's not like Michael Thompson, who's now at Texas A&M. I don't know who's replacing it, but it's not like he just, like, sat in a basement somewhere and drew up this new thing and is forcing it on everybody. It's existed for a while, and it is part of your logo that makes your brand unique and recognizable. Like, why would you not want a secondary logo that is uniquely yours? I don't get why. I mean, you cannot like it. Like, I don't. I didn't like the powder blue basketball uniforms. I think they did a bad job with them, to tell you the truth. I like the concept of alternate uniforms. I think you should have a dozen of them. If you feel like it, go crazy. Who gives a shit? But I, I think they executed them poorly. You can say, you know what, I wouldn't buy that hat. But to have the outrageous negative reaction, like the I will never go to a game again while they wear those hats, like you have a personal issue that you need to go see somebody to work out. 
because that doesn't make any sense. Like, you can even say, I don't like the hat. Eh, I mean, it's not for me. But to take that into some grand conspiracy about getting away from Ole Miss, which, by the way, isn't the name of the damn school to begin with. It's a nickname. That's not the name of the school. If they are going away from Ole Miss to Mississippi, guess what? That's the name of the school. It is the University of Mississippi. But they're not doing that anyway. Well, to be completely fair, this is only a small hand, handful of lunatics that probably comprise the, you know, Southern Tradition secret Facebook group or Bring Back Colonel Reb Facebook group type of thing. Like this, yeah, this is they, this is not very many people, but, but they the thing exist. That they think, but the, no, they do exist. But the thing that uh, the thing that I don't understand about it, and again, I can't, I can't believe we're spending six minutes on a hat logo, but it, that's it, fine. People it, are it, talking it's, about it's inter- it. Yeah, whatever. But I, what I don't understand. Is the script like if you if you look at the the way the old miss the old miss logo is and the cursive old miss and you just cut out the M in M I S S isn't that the script M? I don't understand. What am I missing? If you look at Ole Miss and like what the cursive Ole Miss, they're the the whatever they're you know, their normal logo. Like I'm not sounding crazy here, their normal logo, and you just cut out the script M, isn't that what's on the hat? Yes. Exactly. It is exactly that. I don't know. I'm not. I guess I'm not following. I, but anyway, this just shows how stupid we've become as a society. Like, I mean, it, this, this. I mean, anytime, any kind of like people are so like, like resistive of change. Anytime something happens, it's like, well, things aren't the way they used to be. It's like, it's a hat, man. It's it's gonna be okay. I don't even think the hat looks very great. Like I'm not, I, but I'm more not a big fan of the uh, of the tricolored hat, like with the white at the top. Like some major league baseball teams used to. I just don't like that style. I don't give it. Like, and I'm not even a uniform guy. I don't give a shit what they wear. I'm just saying my main gripe with it is more the way it looks, not the not the logo. Yeah, like the the white front should have been because I've seen a concept where it's a navy blue hat. It's the exact same hat that they wear, but the the M is just replaced with the script M. I think that's a better look than the one that they unveiled. But at the end of the day, like you said, I'm not the biggest fan of that hat. I think it's it, it could be better, but it's fine. It's fine. They're trying things. That's what you should do. You sh- and. It's the same thing with football uniforms. Like, when that concept picture gets tweeted out, I think Josiah Coatney started a shitstorm last year by just tweeting out a picture of him wearing a photoshopped powder blue jersey. I thought that thing kicked ass. Like, that was an awesome jersey. And the reaction that you get from people, and like you said, it's people that are, like, just online. I mean, we, we're learning this in politics, right? Like, Bernie Sanders dominates the, the demographic that is on Twitter. Like, he owns Twitter. But the exit polls, especially in a few of the the primaries on Super Tuesday, showed that Joe Biden dominated the people that were not on Twitter, which is a significantly larger number of people. So this idea like these people that formulate their their company advertising campaigns or there are media people. I'm not kidding. Who hire guys based on their Twitter following. And we learned on Super Tuesday and we learned time and time again that. Online presence is not reflective of reality, but still, like that day, people were furious at the idea of Ole Miss wearing a powder blue jersey because people claim we have the best uniforms in sports, and why would you change it? Number one, no, you don't. It's very good. It's not the best. And two, 
college athletic departments should always, every year, try something new. Sometimes they'll hit. Sometimes they'll miss. Doesn't matter. But you know who loves this shit? The players. The ones that you're recruiting. The ones that play for you. I mean, Greg Kessinger and Errol Thompson on Twitter were like, oh, wow, I need to get me one of those hats. The powder blue jerseys. Recruits love that crap. The, the, the white helmet, when you see recruits on their visit, they're putting on the white helmet and the powder blue helmet most of the time. They're playing around with uniform concepts. Kids love that crap. They're the ones that have to wear it. So let them experiment. It's not a grand conspiracy. It's not like Glenn Boyce is going down to Keith Carter and saying, Keith, you're going to design hats for the baseball team. And what these hats are going to have is a cursive M instead of a block M. And here's why. Because I am slowly getting rid of the name Old Miss. And it's, really, it's going to be so subtle that we are going to change a logo on a hat and then do nothing else. And then we're going to change or add a basketball jersey and put a logo on that and, and do nothing else, though. And that's how we're going to change the name from old. Like, use your brain. I, I don't get it. I'm rambling. But my God, people. Yeah, my favorite part in all of it was what I saw a tweet that would appear to be from Stephen Head's sister that was like, hey, here's a shirt from 04 when dry fit wasn't even a thing yet. It's a cotton T-shirt that my brother wore. Uh, here's the script M. It's a good-looking shirt, by the way. <laughs> in 2004. Didn't they have, still have Colonel Rev as a mascot then? Or, I don't uh, remember. I think he was gone in 03. Whatever. Well, probably not. Shouldn't go down that rabbit hole today. But anyway, yeah, I found that hysteria to uh, to be funny. But anyway, they're going to wear the hats this weekend, and I'm sure it's going to upset a few people, and everyone else is just going to watch the baseball game like normal. But anyway, Princeton, 631st pitch on Friday. Uh, what else do we have to get to? I, uh, I haven't, there's not really a ton in the sports world going on. Like, we're about to crank up. NCAA tournament stuff in a week or two. Baseball has kind of hit like the middle ground of spring training, which is actually like the uh, or the closing stretch, I should say, which is actually the most important part for guys trying to make the club. But storyline wise, just very uh, stale. Uh, but you know, not a ton going on. NBA's in the crappy days of uh, tanking season before the playoffs heat up. There are some teams in races, but like a lot of the basketball is very difficult to watch if your team is either set in contention or not in contention. Um, not yeah, congrats to Memphis, man, because they're not not making the playoffs now. I know they have the toughest schedule and stuff. Like, even 538 still gives New Orleans, who's five back, the best odds of getting the eight seed over Memphis and Portland and Sacramento and San Antonio. I don't get that at all. But uh, Memphis has nicely recovered after their slide after the All-Star break. Yeah, and then uh, one of the the team that's really surging right now is Sacramento. They were only three back in the loss column heading into last night, if I'm not mistaken. And they are currently still three back, so they're three and a half back, but they're only three back in the loss column right now. Yeah, that uh, that race for the eight seed is going to be fascinating. Uh, Friday, pro- Friday's a big NBA day for the eight seed. If we're talking the teams that uh, our listeners, if we have any left at this point, since we're talking NBA, but. Uh, the ones that the people around here would most likely care about. Friday is a crazy day. So you have the Spurs in Brooklyn uh, who need to hold on to their eight seed themselves. You've got uh, Miami in New Orleans, and you've got the Grizzlies in Dallas and Portland 
in Phoenix. Like the the movement that will occur on Friday for the eight seed is pretty remarkable. Oh wait, say so say the lineup again. San Antonio and Brooklyn. I God, if it's the if it's the Spurs, I'm just gonna. I mean, I, if if it's the Spurs, every single one of those games better be on NBA TV. I don't really want that. No, but since it's the Lakers, it won't be. Yeah, just uh, let Miami me in New Orleans. Uh, oh, oh, you're talking about going against each other. I was like, wait a minute, that doesn't make sense. You yeah, no, my playoff so series. San Antonio <laughs> in Brooklyn. You've got Miami and New Orleans on Friday, and then Memphis at Dallas and Portland at Phoenix. I was looking at NBA's playoff odds the other day. The West is really interesting, was really what I'm looking at. But what was so funny is the East, one through eight, and seven and eight in the East, Orlando and Brooklyn, they're crappy teams, all have a 97% chance or greater of making the playoffs. There's a month of season left. Yeah, <laughs> one through eight. Sucks, man. It, I, I am all for uh, this idea that's been proposed out there of get basically getting, ready, getting rid of divisions in the playoffs. I've listened to a, a bunch of ringer podcasts on this, and I, I like the idea, but and like go ahead, pitch it. But there, what, what's a bummer about that is there's like 1,900 reasons why the league won't do it, apparently. Yeah, there are. And I mean, and you would imagine the ship is going to right itself eventually, right? The East isn't going to be this bad forever unless James Dolan continues to own the Knicks. I mean, I guess maybe. Uh, they're going to continue to suck as they have for two decades. Yet they get the most coverage of any NBA team, even though they're just absolutely pathetic. Um, so maybe the East gets better, and when it does, things will balance out. So that conversation will go away. But right now, I mean, the NBA is so out of balance. I mean, the Nets are the seventh seed in the East, and I, I know not everything is created equal, but got absolutely smoked by Memphis last night. Memphis, New Orleans, San Antonio, Portland would all be an easy, safe, no-doubt playoff team, and all but one of them are going to miss the playoffs in the West, and they're going to get swept in the first round. Yeah, it's uh, the first round in the playoffs always stinks, but it just sucks when you have a water, one side that's incredibly watered down like the East is. Uh, could you oh. imagine what the Bucks? Or I guess we'll get the opportunity. But the Bucks Magic series, and that will be just god awful basketball. In fairness, it really can't be any worse than uh, Bucks Pistons was in the first round last yeah, year. True, very true. I mean, not possible. Like, I mean, but it's it's still the same point. It's like, man, this really kind of this is shitty television. But like, it's going to be just as bad. But. Yeah, another Sixers random Celtics would be interesting first round, but that's about it there in the West. I would like to have it... Sixers Heat. I would like that for to be the four or five. I hear you. I'm with you yeah. on that. I think Mavericks Clippers could be interesting first round basketball. Uh, so could I think Oklahoma City and the Clippers would too. I think Oklahoma City Denver would be fascinating as well because I actually think Oklahoma City would probably win the series. And then Denver, I don't really know what you do after that. Uh, but and the Sixers, small ball Houston be, against Utah. I mean, see, again, the West is just so for much the more. Third time. That would be the third time in the last three years that's happened. Mitchell's played the 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 uh, Mitchell, I believe, has played the uh, the uh, 
the Rockets every single year, both years he's been in the league and been in the playoffs. Uh, but the, I think the series of the first round would be uh, Miami, Philadelphia, because you have this dysfunctional, flawed team that stinks on the road. Both these teams stinks on the road. And oh, by the way, it'll be Jimmy Butler back in Philly. So I don't know. Tons of interesting storylines. Just the bottom of the East stinks. Another random basketball that I thought we never actually had. Uh, I don't think we ever actually like talked about the 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 snacks uh, epidemic. Uh, we had him on the show yesterday. Obviously, you can go listen to that. But uh, what just an absolutely electric video. I mean, that was like the greatest internet video I've seen this year. Uh, like from the announcers to like, and if you haven't gone and watched, everyone's going to see the viral clip that's on SportsCenter and all that. But I would encourage you to, I would encourage you to go watch the full four minute clip. On that uh, sport, I know Sports Illustrated put it out where it, it the announcer is announcing the entire like three minutes he's in the game, uh, and it's priceless. I mean, ninety seconds, like twenty five seconds in, he's going to the back of the two three zone after he checks in, and the announcer just goes, "Snacks is a big old boy," <laughs> <laughs> and then they shoot over him. It's a, uh, it was fantastic. That was that was absolutely hysterical. I asked him on the podcast if he ever considered passing, and he said, "Nope." <laughs> Man, if you're going to get those final shots, why the hell would you pass? Yeah, exactly. I mean, I, 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 yeah, exactly. I mean, the job of a bench warmer is to never pass, always jack it up, and that defense is for chumps. Like, that's really just kind of what we do. Like, I mean, when you're in the game, what the hell does playing defense or passing do for you? Absolutely nothing. Like, you're in there to jack up shots. That's what I told him. I, when we, and I'm not spoiling the interview here, but I was like, I imagine there had to be a little bit of a little bit of like a still a hungry stomach after that because you hit the three and then the clock runs out. Like I remember, I made mine and I was like, "To hell with this! I'd like to get fifty. Can we put five more minutes on the clock?" <laughs> and he wouldn't have played defense for a single second. No, him. The best part of the video, and you'll see it if you watch the full video, is he makes the three. D- didn't even consider going back on defense. He's celebrating with the students, just pumping them up. Like staying on that end of the floor while his teammates are playing five and four on defense, they get a steal and they throw it back down the court to him while he's snowboarding, and it goes over his head and out of bounds. I asked him if he could have dunked there, and uh, he he said maybe, but just <laughs> you know what that answer well, really is? Yeah, I, absolutely yes. <laughs> the uh, but what just what an absolutely electric video. That's up there for the best videos of 2020. I mean that that I found that to be phenomenal. Yeah, that's one of the best, like, student manager comes in the game, makes the shot videos you've ever seen. Yeah, just because the uh, the ball's on him to shoot from 28 feet. Like, the guy goes, Snack shot that from the SWAC logo. And then, like, the next <laughs> one he shoots from the JSU, like, the J at Jackson State. <laughs> it was he, j- he shot that from the J, man. Yes, he did. <laughs> yeah, he goes, Snack shot that from the J. And the other guy goes, yes, he did. <laughs> The, was, anyway, that that brought me so much happiness. I thought I found that to be absolutely incredible. But uh, shout out to Wayne Brent, uh, a longtime high school coach in the Metro Jackson area, really good coach, and uh, you know, absolutely very deserving of the position he holds now. But him getting snacks in the game was uh, entertainment for us all. So anyway, uh, that's really about all I got today. I did encourage you to go. Uh, let's let's remiss anything. Did I miss anything? No, no, I don't think so. Um, I mean, you got spring practice. Is there anything? Um, oh, okay, that yeah, you fine. Yeah, about spring practice coming up. Yeah, thank you for this. So, 
I will broach this topic carefully because as we discussed yesterday, uh, so basically we, the, a, a select group of, I say select group, it was your typical suspects on the Ole Miss beat. This beat is not that large. I'm not trying to make anyone sound special here. Had a, had a, had an off the record luncheon with Lane Kiffin yesterday. And I say luncheon. We were literally just eating in the IPF. Um, I, basically, we talked and everything was off the record, and so I was under the assumption that I was not going to talk about it at all. I mean, it's not the, it's, I mean, it's not the, it's not the Pentagon Papers here, man. Like this is not Watergate. Like I'm not being secretive. It's just like I was gonna like. It, they we ask you not to talk about something. They say off the record. That means you don't talk about it. That's just kind of standard. Right, but I don't even know if this violates off the record thing. Like not, not much substantive was was said anyway. Well, that more, and other people on the beat have already started talking about it. So yeah, so that's where I'm getting to. It was more of like a get. I thought it was gonna be more of like a get to know you thing, but it ended up being just more of an impromptu question type of thing. We met Jeff Lebby. We met DJ Durkin. We met Chris Partridge, but. Anyway, uh, uh, some other websites and other media outlets have uh, already taken to their respective boards and stuff, uh, one in particular, uh, but to kind of put out what was out there. So I'm just going to outline the highlights that I would feel comfortable just saying. One, all spring practices are going to be open to the media, uh, like which I don't think that's completely atypical for a coach in year one. Like that sounds great and all that, and I'm not, I'm not like being ungrateful for the access. I just think honeymoon phase, it's a little bit easier to make things like that happen. So all spring practices are going to be open to the media. Um, Ole Miss is actually, this is probably the one of the more interesting things in it. Ole Miss is going to practice in the mornings in the fall. There will be a morning practicing team instead of afternoon. I, uh, is there a reason given for that? That's interesting. Uh, yes. It's, uh, I'll just say it was previous influence. Kiffin got that okay. from someone else and, uh, he has a very spe- there's a there's definitely a reason behind it. Very specific. So what do reason. they do in the afternoon? Is that more for like the the kids to like you know study film on their own, work out stuff like that? That's interesting because they do that basically backwards, right? They go to class, but some of them wake up, get a lift in in the morning, stuff like that. I guess they just are kind of flipping their day. Yeah, so it gets them. I mean, presumably it gets them up earlier in the morning. They're already up. They can do their thing, then go to class and all of that. Uh, like I said, I mean, Kiffin explained they de-incentivize it. going out and shit like that, because like, if you don't have practice till four and you don't have class till 11, then Hey, what the hell? It's Wednesday night. Let's go get drunk. But now it's like, Hey man, I got practice at seven. Can't do that. I don't know. Maybe there's something to that. There is. And he had a more specific reason, but again, I'm just, I feel weird talking about this because like <laughs> they asked you not to and right, just right. But other, other places have done it anyway. Anyway, I'll just go over the highs. Is that they're going to practice in the morning. And then, uh, I'm trying to think what else, uh, that was really about it. I think like, did I miss one that's already been out, floated out there? Uh, that's really it. Um, no, the open to the media thing. I, I'm, I know you guys that, that are on the, the daily beat side of things, you, you get sick of practice. I know for for the fan and for the consumer, consumer that's going to be really cool because it is fresh and it is new, and he does run practices very differently than some people. Um, just people want to see that. And I think they'll have like an in-stadium thing, so if you want to go watch, if you're a casual fan, like you'll be able to go see them practice this spring on a Saturday. Like You'll get to go watch the football team practice and then go to the baseball game. 
Like, that'll happen multiple times uh, this spring for spring practice, which I think that's a really cool deal. It, most of it's been really shut down. And, uh, like, Ole Miss's fall camp and stuff and spring practice was all really shut down last year, and justifiably so because they wanted to uh, protect their new systems or whatever. But not doing it here, I think that's a great benefit for fans. I just think that's really cool. Uh, no fan is going to be able to – do anything, no practice access will give you a disadvantage during the spring. Like, when you're implementing game plan, yeah, I get why that's closed. But there's nothing you're doing in the spring that, I mean, you could hand Nick Saban a tape of all of their spring practices, and he won't gain an advantage. So it's nice to see the fans get to see practice and all that stuff. I think that's cool. Yeah, no, I, I agree. The uh, I, I believe there will be certain practices in spring, uh, like multiple, that will actually be open to fans as well. Yeah, that's what I said on Saturdays. I think they're yeah. all Saturday. So that's out there as well. Stadium. Yeah. Okay. Uh, good. So yes, yeah, that's, that's out uh, there. Uh, so I'm not. I'm not. No, but fans really do love that stuff. Like that, I think that's a good idea by Kiffin. Fans really love that stuff because on the, like their Saturday scrimmages or whatever, it's not like. So I think like some fans gonna find some divulging secret. I, I like it when coaches do that. I think that's good stuff. I think that's 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 a smart play towards your fan base. For sure. And not not that they need to be any more excited, but now now you're giving them an opportunity. This is where they failed so much the last couple of years, is the program wasn't exciting at all. And then you didn't give people a reason to be emotionally connected with the team. You know, they didn't get to see anything or learn about anybody. You didn't get to hear from John Rice Plumley. You know, it just, I, I don't know. I think even though they don't need it now, giving people more access to your program will keep give them more incentive to go watch these kids play. We'll give them more incentive to buy tickets. We'll give them more incentive to buy merchandise. If And, and there are some people... And this is the Alabama effect. People make fun of Alabama spring game attendance, but man, those are people, a lot of them, that can never afford to go to a game in the fall. And you build a fan base that you take little Johnny to the spring game, and then little Johnny wants a shirt, and then suddenly you have an Alabama fan for life. You can do that to a smaller degree here. Now on a Saturday a guy that that works really hard nine to five but because insurance is absurd hand raised here um money's a little tight so you can't really go spend 300 bucks to watch them play auburn this year but you can go to practice next saturday or whenever it starts two saturdays from now and he can stand on the front row of the stadium and see well not jerry and ewe but and see these guys and see Snoop Connor, the running back who has an NFL potential NFL future. He can see Jonathan Mingo, who has a chance to play in the NFL up close in person, which is not something that you've given your fans the opportunity to, to do the last few years. And I think that's never a good move. And I don't know. I, that was a wax poetic way to say good call, smart move, cool to see, whatever. I think that just about covers it as well in terms of like stuff that can be, or uh, I should just say, has been somewhat appropriately divulged from that. But I, it was good on Kiffin, like, uh, you know, good reaching out local media and all that. I'm not a big, like, uh, 
not a big complainer in terms of like access. I'm not really a big complainer from like asking for stuff or what coaches give us and all that. I mean, barring something stupid and ridiculously paranoid, it's their program. They can do whatever the hell they want. So I'm cool with pretty much all this. Like I, I don't, I don't have a strong preference one way or another whether a bunch of practices are open because as we've discussed before, there's not like a ton I get from it. But the fans like it, and like you can draw like certain larger things, and sometimes. But like if they if they like I wouldn't be if they shut down availability and stuff, I'd be like, okay, well now I can't do my job. But if they had closed practices, that wouldn't really bug me very much either. And I don't really know why it just wouldn't. Right, because it, you you don't get anything out of it. Not that. See, people get it so twisted. You have, and I'm not. This is not about the old Miss beat. For example, last spring practice, or was it fall camp? It was fall camp. An Alabama beat writer wrote an entire practice observations column based on the pictures that were released by the university. He did not go to practice, was not able to see practice. There were no videos of practice. It was actually a scrimmage. Uh, uh, there were no this. videos. Yeah. <laughs> there, there was nothing other than pictures, and he made content out of it reacting to the pictures talking about how, oh, man, it's good to see this player get touches. Wow, he looks really good here, about pictures. So there are guys that do shit like that, and they'll do 100 practice observations or whatever to pretend it's like give off the illusion that they really know football, you know? Like, oh, man, this guy's technique was better than it was a year ago. It's all bullshit. It, it is all bullshit. There is nothing. Any person that covers Ole Miss or 99% of people that covers college football – can learn from practice other than who was there, who was healthy, who wasn't healthy, who lost a little bit of weight, who gained a little bit of weight, and who's taking the most reps. That is the only thing that people can really get from practice by watching it as a media person. So I know fans want the observation content. I know they do. And you can still give it, like, hey, this guy caught a few passes. Like, that, that's fine. Hey, you know, Jonathan – or. Uh, Demarcus Gregory didn't get a lot of run last year. Uh, caught a few deep balls in practice today. So th there's an observation. That's fine. But these people that like try to break down technique and stuff when they've never they, – they didn't play the game at a high level. And I'm not going to be that guy because I didn't play the game at a high level, so I wouldn't know what I was watching either. But you have these guys that pretend like they know the nuances of, of – playing the game at a high level, and they don't. And so when you read it, it just sounds stupid. And it's disingenuous to the fans. It's not fair at all because you end up hyping up players who aren't going to get playing time or aren't doing things the right way because you don't know what the hell you're watching. Yep, I couldn't uh, couldn't agree more. So anyway, I, uh, I think that's about all we got for today. If any other secret football meetings happen, uh, we will be the first to let you know here on this podcast. But – uh Unless you got anything else, I'll see you this afternoon. We'll be back at it tomorrow. All right, so tomorrow is Mailbag Friday. Still getting three shows this week. We're just uh, shuffling around based on a basketball, baseball kind of tweener type of deal. Uh, go listen to the interview with Snacks. Go see Greg at LB's one more time, University Avenue across from Kroger. Uh, baseball weekend coming up. He can absolutely feed you. He's the best place to go uh, for all of your grilling needs for baseball season. Greg is awesome. Please go see him. Uh, but outside of that, send Borky and I your mailbag questions. Mailbag Friday, the people's holidays tomorrow. Come hang out with us. We appreciate you listening, and uh, Borky, I'll see you this afternoon. All right, man. A Super Talk Mississippi media production.